province of Alberta continues to set aside the provincial portion of the gas tax to make life a little bit more affordable for us. So why are we the only province doing this? I'm Sheila Gunn-Reed and you're watching The Gun Show. Alberta's Conservative Premier, Danielle Smith, has decided that the province just does not need to gouge Albertans for more money in a time of record inflation. The province has set aside the provincial portion of the gas tax to help us be able to fill up our vehicles, to go to work, to give us a little bit more money in our pockets, to pay for groceries, or maybe even have a little road trip here and there. But why are we the only people doing this? <laughs> we are certainly not the only conservative-led province in this country. We're not even the only conservative-led province on the prairies. So why aren't our friends in Saskatchewan doing the same thing? Why isn't Saskatchewan's Premier Scott Moe following in Danielle Smith's footsteps and giving some relief to the struggling families of Saskatchewan, frankly? Alberta doesn't seem to be needing the money. We seem to be getting by as a province without giving this extra money to the provincial government. So I hope they never bring it back. But couldn't the province of Saskatchewan do something temporary that may turn permanent to help out people who are dealing with Justin Trudeau's mismanagement of the economy and his ever-increasing carbon tax? Joining me now to discuss this and, well, maybe even the cryptids of Canada in a roundabout way is my friend Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Take a listen. So joining me now is my good friend and good friend of the show, Chris Sims from the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. Far too long since you've been on the show. Chris, how's it going? Oh, excellent. I just got back from a quick road trip up uh, to your neck of the woods near Edmonton. And then we stopped by in Red Deer, talked to the good folks there, and into Drumheller. And we were promoting the fact that Alberta has got the lowest gas taxes in all of Canada. Thank you very much, Premier Daniel Smith. And we want to see it stay that way. Uh, we save 13 cents per liter of gasoline and diesel. That saves you about 15 bucks if you're driving a light-duty pickup truck. And that's nothing to sneeze at. I can get a roast chicken and a jug of milk for that. So we're really happy to see that. Interestingly, uh, we're also putting pressure next door on our neighbor, uh, Premier Scott Moe of Saskatchewan. Uh, he hasn't cut his provincial gas tax at all. And we've seen an example here in Alberta all this time. So we're urging Premier Moe to cut taxes like a girl. <laughs> no, that's great. Um, no, you actually found the lowest gas in the province, and it's in Drumheller, which is fun because that's kind of a, a road trip destination. So it's great to have the gas be the lowest at your summer road trip. Yeah, I was really surprised by that, actually. So I left Edmonton that morning. It was about a buck 44, buck 45. And then I hit Red Deer. It was a little, I went a dollar 42. Come around the corner uh, into Drumheller, which is just an amazing place. If anybody hasn't been there, it's special. I, as a, as a nerd who grew up loving dinosaurs and history her whole life, you come around the corner, you can see the KT line. 
like where the world changed. So you come around the corner and after you're finished gawping at all the fossils, look up at the gas station price and it was like a dollar thirty-five. So it was that was the lowest I had found, uh, which was super impressive. And again, that's money back into people's pockets. Like you said, that's a destination for a lot of people, especially families, especially families in Western Canada. Uh, my son was counting all the different license plates from out of province, and there were tons of them from BC, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, even a couple from Ontario. And so it was really good to see a really low gas price and obviously uh, the lowest gas taxes in all of Canada right there in Drum. Now, you know, it, it's interesting, too, because, you know, we can compare ourselves here in Alberta, as you point out, to our friends in Saskatchewan, but also to our friends in B.C. They've had a carbon tax forever and their emissions are not going down. Um, the federal liberals have reliably told me that the more you pay in carbon taxes, the fewer forest fires you'll have. And yet that doesn't seem to be the case in B.C. Uh, what's the impact of these ever increasing taxes on the poor people who live in BC right now? I'm really glad you asked me that for a lot of reasons. Uh, one, I was born and raised in rural British Columbia. So outside of the GVRD, I was raised in Hope. Uh, my husband's from the interior and up north. And so very similar, I would say, in kind of outlook, temperament, independence, resilience as Albertans or other Western Canadians. Um, and they don't deserve this kind of carbon tax punishment that they're getting. British Columbia's cost of living is unaffordable for most average normal people. Uh, unless you've got some way of, you know, either living with your parents who are really well-to-do or you managed to get into the housing market just before it went bananas. Um, a lot of people there are struggling. So much so, Sheila, that when people are buying a house now, having a suite that is rented out automatically is just part of the feature. Like they just consider that a normal thing as a two person couple working professional family that you will have a stranger renting out your basement is just par for the course. Um, that was unthinkable when I, when I was a kid. Um, and so the carbon tax plays a big factor into that. Not so much into housing, obviously, but into the day-to-day -day affordability. And so they've had a carbon tax, like you said, since 2008. The B.C. Liberal government of Premier Gordon Campbell at the time brought in a, a carbon tax into British Columbia. And this is what's key. They sold people on a carbon tax saying that it would do many things. They said that it was going to be revenue neutral. They said it was going to stop at $30 a ton. They said that it was going to create a plethora of affordable alternative energy sources that people could just tap right into. And they said it was going to make emissions go down. Today, none of that is true. Not one thing is true from that. So it's, as we know, $65 per ton, which is now the mandatory minimum imposed by Prime Minister Justin Trudeau. But BC would do it on their own anyway, because they just love the carbon tax there. Uh, emissions keep on going up and alternative affordable energy sources are really scarce for most working people. On the emissions element, this is it. Remember how I mentioned the affordability and the scarcity of that alternative energy? That's why emissions keep going up. Because right. people can't switch. It's not like they're standing in a grocery line and they can pick paper or plastic bags. Most people, once they're beaten into a financial corner the way they have been in BC, would have switched by now. But there's nowhere for them to go. So they have to keep driving to work, they have to keep eating food, and they have to keep heating their home. So they just pay. They pay and pay and pay. 
they get a second job, they take out that third line of credit, um, they borrow money from their parents, they do whatever, they bring in a renter, they just go deeper into debt. And so this is why an economist would call this an inelastic demand for energy. This is why you've got emissions going up in BC, along with the carbon tax going up in BC. And as Prime Minister Justin Trudeau said years ago, in French, on tout le monde parle, and as the Parliamentary Budget Officer has said, even if Canada stopped everything tomorrow, like the whole country, we all just went and hid in a cave, stop eating, stop heating, it wouldn't make a dent in global emissions. So if your issue is emissions, um, it's not making a dent. Even if you just taxed people into oblivion and made them not be able to afford any energy, it wouldn't make a dent. Um, so this is where it's really frustrating. We've seen a severe financial punishment of Canadians that started in BC. It became a trend across Canada. Prime Minister Justin Trudeau is using it as a template. And we're not seeing any environmental gain. It, and it's enormous to see the subsidies coming out the other side for green energy while we're handicapping ourselves with this affordable, reliable fossil fuel. You and I were having a very vigorous discussion about Bigfoot before I hit record. And one of the I things... I prefer the term you... Sasquatch, by the way, but just so sure. we're good. Do you know what? Maybe... <laughs> I'll, I'll use the language of your people. Um, <laughs> but, Thank you. Um, it's just like how um, some or my... Uh, Religious friends prefer the term Latter-day Saints. I'll use your terms. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, um, you know, we, I, you were, we were talking about how, of course, of course, Bigfoot can hide. Sorry, Sasquatch can hide. Because there's one road up the middle of yes. the uh, province in BC. And so there's a lot of places for our hairy, higher primate friends to avoid capture. And by the way, I hope they never do. Because you know what they're going to do if they find Bigfoot? Tax protect them. the land. Protect the land from forestry. That's what they're going to do. So hide, my big hairy friends. Hide. Um, <laughs> and they'll tax them. They'll tax them out of cave yeah. and home. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, but, you know, I was thinking about that. I'm like, you know, imagine trying to find uh, Sasquatch or uh, literally do anything um, in BC outside of the greater Vancouver area with an electric vehicle. And yet the feds are just pumping billions and billions of dollars into the creation of batteries for electric vehicles that nobody wants to buy because they're unreliable. I don't know. You're kind of new to Alberta. So we have this really, uh, as you were talking, um, my wheels were turning and we have this fun thing that we have here. We record vehicle registrations by fuel type and then we publish it online. So, <laughs> so we know exactly how many vehicles we have in Alberta registered on the road. Uh, that doesn't include grain trucks that may or may not be registered on the road. Uh, so we have roughly 3.6 million registered vehicles, which is pretty good for like a province of uh, over 4 million people. That's mm -hmm. a lot of cars. We're a car culture here. But there are only 3,500 that are fully electric. Why? Because you can pump billions at this, as the liberals are doing. I think $20 billion to one electric um, battery plant. Mm -hmm. $20 billion. And you still can't get us to buy these things because they don't work. You can give them to me for free, but I can't use it in the winter. So what's the point? This is it. And this is a very similar argument to what happens with the energy, right? Of, right. okay, you want us to switch. You want to punish us for using natural gas or for diesel, right? For trucking. Right. Um, what do we switch to? There's just a blank stare. 
that's coming yeah. from the government in that situation. Uh, there's a gentleman who works uh, as a scientist in British Columbia. Uh, we happen to vigorously disagree on things like the carbon tax, but he knows his stuff when it comes to the amount of energy required for things to go. And he did the math years ago and said that this was a very conservative estimate. He said that if everybody had an electric vehicle delivered to them for free, okay, like the, the electric car ferry brought you one overnight, um, and you did bare bones minimum home heating, so something to do with electric that just keeps your pipes from freezing. So not touching industrial, not touching business, okay? Just private use of transportation and basic home heating. He estimated that British Columbia would need nine new site C dams. Yep. Nine of them. And that's just for British Columbia. And so this is what we're saying. You know, we're not the energy experts, but we are really good on taxes. And we're pointing out the fact that these high taxes and the fact that Trudeau is bent on bringing them up every single year for the next seven yeah. years is making the basics unaffordable. So things like electricity, things like home heating, transportation, even groceries. It really affects the price of groceries. Um, so that's making helping to make life unaffordable. But at the same time, there's nowhere for people to go over here. It's like a policy gap. And so this is where we're pointing out, God, folks, you need to figure that part out. You can't just keep punishing people with these carbon taxes because they can't afford them. Yeah. Like I was just and getting back to the like the battery plant subsidies, 19 billion dollars. I was thinking you could literally give everybody in Red Deer an, yep. an electric yep. vehicle with that money. Instead, we gave it. And uh, I would never advise that, by the way, because you'll never get to Edmonton. Uh, but, 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 you know, instead, we're just dumping it on these uh, like corporate welfare to private companies to make a widget that nobody wants. Yes, yes. And corporate welfare is exactly the term. And that has been going on now for years. All governments do it. It's terrible and they shouldn't do it. But again, these are mega corporations. Yeah. These are like Ford, Volkswagen, Solantis, like internationally known mega corporations. We are handing them taxpayers money. It's, it's just, it's crazy. It just, it's a good rule of thumb. When you're trying to think of how much money this is, you can build a pretty good, smallish, but brand new hospital for about a billion dollars. Yeah. So the next time a politician stands up on his or her hind legs and opens their mouth and tells you what they're spending your money on and you think billions, picture a hospital. Every time they say billion, poof, in your mind, picture a hospital and all the stuff that goes into building that thing. So that's a really good rule of thumb because otherwise they'll just keep using these huge numbers that don't really mean a lot to m normal people. You know, uh, in my mind, when you said when a politician stands up and I thought, in my mind, I filled in the blank cloven hooves. <laughs> then I kept it to myself. I think myself. we read the same book. <laughs> I kept it to myself. Um, no, no I, hey, I'll say it. No, no, Orwell was right. <laughs> um, no, I... We were, again, talking before I hit record uh, yeah. about this Ipsos poll that recently came out, uh, I think, two days ago. And um, I, I, I should preface it by saying Ipsos is not a conservative polling company. They've dedicated at least two pages on their website to their ESG score. So they're pretty serious about it. Um, and their poll was um, done on behalf of the Montreal Economic Institute. 
Mm. regarding uh, various issues and Canadian sentiments related to energy. And uh, I think the Liberals have officially lost Quebec on this issue. And I think energy affordability is one of the things that really mugs people um, by reality. So six in 10 Quebecers believe that independent producers should be allowed to sell electricity directly to companies. Um, They also say that 51% of Quebecers are in favor of developing the province's natural natural resources, specifically oil resources, so its own resources. And there's been a fracking ban in Quebec for quite some time Yeah, uh, to meet its internal demand. So, uh, I mean, and uh, when you look at the numbers here, and you'll have to take my word for it, it's across all demographics. It's men and women across all age groups that agree with this. Six in 10 Canadians are, uh, they don't want to pay any more in taxes to fight climate change. And again, that's young to old men to women, I think we've reached the event horizon for the Liberals on this issue. I think we've reached full saturation as well. Uh, Very interesting coming out of Quebec that so over, so a majority, over 50% say they want to develop their natural. That's really interesting because they've been quite reliant on hydro, a lot like British Columbia has been, although British Columbia does more with their alternate uh, natural resources. But that's really interesting that they're going that way too. And again, this comes down to brass tacks. If you can't afford your power bills, if you can't afford to get to work, if you're worried about how to afford to heat your home this coming winter, um, that gets really real really fast because then you're making decisions on what bill to pay and what minimum payment to make. And the last stat I saw out of MNP, which is like a financial advisory group that it's internationally known, and they measure things like debt levels, right, insolvencies. Uh, Last I saw, it was around half. So between 47 and 52%, depending on what province you're in, half of the people there say they're within $200 per month of insolvency. That means you can't make your minimum payments. That doesn't mean like you've paid off your line of credit or your credit cards. No, no. This is making your very minimum payments within 200 bucks. Uh, I think that was a historical high for them when they did that survey. Uh, What I also find interesting is Atlantic Canada. So for a long time, Atlantic Canada, unbeknownst to a lot of us out in Western Canada who've been paying the mandatory minimum uh, Trudeau carbon tax now for years, Atlantic Canadians uh, had a special deal. They had a cap-and-trade system uh, through their different provincial governments, etc. So on average, they were paying about $0.02 per litre in in gasoline for the carbon tax. The rest of us were paying $0.14 a litre. But that all changed on July 1st, Sheila, because presto bingo bango, they were brought on to the mandatory minimum. So that first carbon tax went up by $0.12 overnight. And Prime Minister Trudeau has now created a second carbon tax, which is through government fuel regulations. It's a super complicated international credit system on carbon. Uh, British Columbia has had one for years, and he's mirrored it after BC. So legit, he, he saw the price of gas in Vancouver and said, whoa, that's awesome. I'm totally going to make that across Canada. So he used BC as a template. We know, for example, in Atlantic Canada, they have regulated fuel prices through the government. So I think what Franco, my colleague Franco Terrazano, told me was that it was around five cents per liter off the hop. So 12 plus five, their price of gasoline went up 17 cents overnight. So that's going to get real, real fast because it's not just at the pump. A big chunk of people, especially in Nova Scotia, still use 
heating oil for their right. furnaces. That's got a big carbon tax on it. You know, that is evidenced in these results because they break it down also by region because they did some polling across the country, too. And increasing taxes to fight climate change by socio-demographic group um, can't or won't pay more. Atlantic Canada, 64%. Woo. Yeah. That See, that's pulling up almost to B range if you're grading it. <laughs> If you're grading those essays as a teacher. Um, yep. And again, I want to just reach across the aisle. Um, I think a lot of us are small e environmentalists. So sure. I grew up in the interior, mostly of BC. I also spent a lot of time on Vancouver Island. I get it. I have hand sewn my baby's cloth diapers. Okay. Yep. I buy almost everything used. I recycle everything. I, I get it. Even if we stopped existing, it wouldn't make a dent in global emissions. So this is where I'm, I'm trying to reach people that are like, but the carbon tax, but the planet. Okay, I hear what you're saying, but the carbon tax isn't helping. Okay, right. you know, we are the tax people, but I can't help but read some pretty smart things sometimes. The government of India has been asking to buy natural gas from Canada for years. Hundreds of millions of people in India every day burn garbage and old wood like they gather yeah. sticks and wood every day the amount of heavy emissions coming out of those poor folks' homes is enormous not to mention the indoor air quality for a lot of these right. families they want to switch to natural gas that would reduce global emissions and provide jobs here for people so why aren't we thinking of doing this instead of taxing people to death for driving their minivans Right. And there's a, a level of colonialism <laughs> there that really bothers me. And I'm I'm reliably informed that the left is there against colonialism. But I think you are imposing um, these policies on people who just want to be able to have a car and flip their lights on just like I have. And we're preventing them from achieving the same quality of life that we have. And it's uh, sort of ha it has a a tinge of the noble savage bigotry that I just cannot abide. There was a lady I was listening to the other day, forgive me, I can't remember her name. She was doing a neat lecture uh, on online and she was comparing it. Uh, and again, let's talk India because they're a sure. democracy and, you know, we can kind of relate to they're them a little bit easier in some cases. And, and we sell so many other things to them. Yeah. Canola yeah. pulses. Like we, we do trade deals with them all the time. Um, so this is just another trade deal we should be doing. So, yeah, so it's an easier thought process for sure. And she, I forget, again, I forget her name, I apologize, but she had basically said, read back into Dickens, okay? Read back into the time where we were in the middle of the Industrial Revolution in places like England, okay? The workshop of the world. Their emissions were so thick and their particulates were so thick that it would combine with the fog and the stench coming up off of the ground where people were still using horses and I won't even get into it. It was pretty gross on the streets. And it was causing like pea supers that were so thick that people were getting hit by carriages because they couldn't see their hands in front of their faces because of the smog. Um, I happen to know because I read history a lot that back in those days, women were sent out to the country when they were expecting a baby yeah. because it was cleaner air for them and they wouldn't get rickets as easily. Okay. And so this lady was making this comparison saying, why are we insisting that some families in other countries stop in the middle of that? Like right. cease. You are in the middle of an industrial revolution, but you're not allowed to go further. 
You can't buy cleaner energy like natural gas. Why? Like, I'm just asking. Like, I'm not an international trade expert. Maybe there's a reason, but that doesn't sound... There, there's got to be a better reason than this. And there's got to be a better solution. And again, I can't stress enough. We've got record demand for food banks across yeah. Canada. So here in Alberta, like we're pointing out, we do have it better. Okay. It is more affordable. I want to give credit where it's due and it's smart of them to do that. But we're seeing record demand for food banks across the country. And I dug into that a little bit more because you probably saw the note on that, Sheila, a few months ago. Um, increasing demand mostly from working families. Yeah. So let's break that down what that really means. What's a working family going to a food bank? That means if you're a parent and you're working a job, you're still counting on donated peanut butter to feed your kid and cans of applesauce. That's brutal. Okay. And the carbon taxes are a big reason why things are becoming unaffordable for working people in Canada. So this is not working, okay? All it's doing is creating this huge cash grab from the government, taking away from people, and is not helping the environment. So this is where we're urging smart people in Ottawa uh, to wise up and do the right thing. Interestingly, I think I just saw this in Manitoba. It was the leadership of the NDP, the party, saying we need to cut gas tax. Yeah. What? Why? Well, because of affordability. That's really interesting. Because if they cut their gas tax in full, that would negate the cost of Trudeau's carbon tax. It would completely take the sting out of it because it's the equivalent amount. It's a, a knock-on effect. As you were talking there, I thought, you know, not only is it making, it's turning more people to food banks, but it's also making it harder for people who have a little bit extra to donate to the food banks. So the food banks are shrinking, but the demand is rising. Yes. All because yes, exactly. of affordability. Exactly. Because they, ha they don't have as much extra now to give to that food bank. Also, even if they're just buying at the store, so say you want to buy an extra jar of peanut butter and put it in the hamper as you're leaving, that jar of peanut butter is now almost eight bucks. Mm -hmm. Whereas before it was around five bucks, four bucks. So that means that you now will have less money in order to buy that purchase and then give it to the food bank or even to have money, because some people prefer to give money to the food bank, to when the cashier asks you, you know, can you donate this? The answer is going to more likely than often be no now because people have less money. And so this is where we're imploring the government that, you know, good intentions and saying things like, but this is for the environment don't actually make a difference to people if it's impoverishing them and it's not helping the environment. And so this is where we're saying, scrap the carbon taxes, leave more money in the pockets of working people, and they will be able to do good things with them. Uh, we're not the environment experts, but if you want to tackle things like emissions, deal with the big end of the arithmetic problem. So international emissions. Also here at home, there's ways of capturing CO2 as an element. And just think of it as recycling. Instead of just letting it fritter off into the atmosphere, get a company without government money, get a company to capture it and utilize it as a recycled element, like we do with aluminum or glass or other, other products. So there's other ways of doing this that doesn't require impoverishing working people and forcing them to go to food banks. Next time you're around, we should go to the carbon capture site up the road from me. 
It's very fun. Oh, I've never seen one. I would love yes. to see one. Yes. Is um, it real and functioning? It, it is. It is. Uh, they <laughs> okay. use, the reason we are, as they say, up Greater Alley is because we have yeah. salt caverns underneath us, underneath the farms. There's big, massive salt caverns, and then they inject the CO2 underneath as part of their carbon capture and just store it down there until they figure out what to do with it and how to use it and turn it into something uh, better than pollution, as the feds call it. Um, <laughs> so next time you're around, we should we should do that together. I think it'd be fun. Look at us. Yeah, let's totally do that. It's a date. <laughs> what a bunch of nerds we are. Uh, Chris, uh, tell us how people can support the Canadian Taxpayers Federation. You guys do great work. Um, you are completely independent of government funding. And um, I think that's why we love you. And that's why we know we can trust you. Thank you. Uh, so for folks who aren't aware of the Canadian Taxpayers Federation, we were founded in 1990. So before the internet was a thing. We are nonpartisan. We don't care what color jersey the politician's wearing. We want low taxes, less waste, and more accountable government. Okay? Period. Uh, so depending on what your thing is, this is the best way to help us. Go to our website, taxpayer.com. Go through our petitions list. Pick which ones you like. There's something there for everybody. If you want to oppose the gun grab, we got a petition for that. If you don't think journalists should be paid by the government, we got a petition for that to defund the CBC. Yeah. Um, if you want to scrap the carbon taxes based on what Sheila and I have just been talking about, sign up for that. <laughs> and what that does is, see, you join the taxpayer army that way. Okay. And so the next time an issue comes up in Edmonton or Ottawa, depending on what it is, we will send you like a mobilizing email saying, flood the minister's email right now, it's critical mass. And we actually get changes to happen, okay? So for example, just recently here in Alberta, they scrapped their silly idea to host the Commonwealth Games, which was going to cost us probably more than a billion dollars building wooden up, circular, what? I ended, I ended up being anti-Olympics <laughs> there for a while <laughs> because of Calgary. I'm like, wait, do I not like the Olympics now? No, I don't. I don't want to have to pay for it. So same thing with See? Commonwealth Games. Yep. This is it. So they said no to the Calgary Winter Games. Okay, so hockey and downhill skiing. Why are we going to spend a billion dollars on indoor circular wooden racing tracks for bicycles? Like, no, let's not do that. Uh, so any of those things that really get you going, sign on to those petitions and then you join our army and we're actually able to cause change to happen in a grassroots, citizen, nonpartisan way. Chris, thanks so much for the work that you do advocating for families like mine um, all across this country, but particularly here in Alberta. Boy, are we sure glad to have you. Thank you. Thanks. Uh, we'll have you back on again very, very soon. Um, I'll try to avoid the cryptid talk. I know it turns off some of my viewers, but it's my show, so whatever. <laughs> it's so it's so fun, though. Honestly, I know. like I know, <laughs> it's one of those things where you can either. I get so bogged down with real stuff and government stuff, and I actually do think it's real. So I don't mean it like it's exactly. not real, but I like more whimsical things, magical right. things. Right? right? Because it gives me hope that there's more to life than like death and taxes, as they say. So yeah. I think it's great. Do you, are you friends with, um, if I've got you still for a second, are you friends with Annie Oz on Facebook? Yes. Oh, yeah. Oh, good. <laughs> oh, yeah. Aren't they wonderful? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yes. They are Bigfoot true believers. And uh, they spend enough time on the land that um, we should listen. We should. We should. And I love him. Like, and so he grew up just north of me. He grew yeah. up near Boston Bar. 
And so we we got Facebook messaging and that's how mm. I became friends. So I don't even know how I found him. I think maybe he was even a mutual friend of yours. I'm not sure. I think but we was. had a bunch yep. of mutual friends. Huh. Yep. Interesting. Yep. Well, I I hope people listen to those folks and I hope that they eventually get a picture. <laughs> But I hope that only we see it because, again, I say if the government sees it, we're screwed. We're never going to be able to drill on the eastern slopes of the Rockies ever again. They're going to protect it all from forestry. Some stupid caribou that aren't smart enough to join the rest of the herd in the north. (laughs) They all of a sudden they're outlawing forestry in these areas because of the woodland caribou. I'm like, the woodland caribou are not a real species. They are not genetically distinct from the rest of the caribou, which is like one of the most populous ruminants in the country. But because there's like this little herd that's dwindling and I'm like, I don't care if those caribou are not getting it on. That's not my problem. They're lost. Who cares, right? But no, we can't log there. We can't do seismic there because of these like dwindling woodland caribou herds. And I'm like, let me hunt them or put them in a truck and send them to the rest of the caribou. They're not my problem. (laughs) And so I see that and I'm like, that's what we can't find the Bigfoot because that's what they're going to do. I never thought, honestly, until you mentioned it, I never thought of the implications. (laughs) <laughs> that's not I was a good like, idea no we we can't find him he cannot be found he must never be found he must always remain elusive only we must find his hair and his turds in the woods if we find <laughs> any more than that we're screwed you, do, you need to tell Annie this you need to tell okay. Annie keep it to yourself Annette please no no like don't tell us just DM us just yeah. don't let the feds know oh my god yeah. you're wonderful just like send me a wink and I'll know what that means <laughs> Okay, next time you're down here in this territory, let oh, me know, yeah, for sure. and I'll do the Definitely. same when I head back up north. Okay, okay sounds great. Okay, bye, dear. <laughs> well, we've come to the portion of the show where we invite your viewer feedback. It's the reason that I give you my email address right now. It's Sheila at rebelnews.com. If you have a question or comment about the show today, just put gun show letters in the subject line. And who knows, I might just read your letter on air. But also, don't hesitate to leave a comment wherever you might be watching us. For example, if you've sat through a couple of ads and you're watching the free version of the show on Rumble or YouTube, leave a comment there. I might go poking over there to find, um, you know, something thoughtful or even maybe hate mail (laughs) sent my way. Um, And I've got a couple of them. Um, And it's on last week's show with my friend Michelle Sterling from Friends of Science. And we were talking about the pause on green energy projects that our premier Daniel Smith has put in place to deal with end of life issues of these projects. How do you remediate them? What are the reclamation plans in place, you know, the same things we do for oil and gas. Um, and also, what are the implications that these green energy projects may have for our electricity grid? Are they going to cause brownouts and blackouts if we become oversaturated with these unreliable projects that don't work when the sun isn't shining or the wind isn't blowing? And Max Wellbeing 9449 writes, Now, if the male leaders of the other provinces had balls as big as hers, hers being Daniel Smith, our lovely female premier, the country might actually start turning around for the better. You know what? I say it all the time. Our premier, Daniel Smith, she has a bit of a DeSantis effect. She is willing 
to go out and propose the policies and the ideas and take the slings and arrows so that the others might follow in her footsteps. The others being, you know, Scott Moe in Saskatchewan, although uh, to his credit, he leads the way on a lot of issues too, or at least marches together with Premier Daniel Smith towards the fire of the mainstream media and the feds. But her ideas also uh, stoke not cowardice, but rather fear in, for example, uh, the other territories, Yukon, Northwest Territories, Manitoba sometimes falls in line with Premier Smith. So uh, there is some of that happening where she comes out first and sort of is charges towards the enemy line and then everybody sort of falls in line. So, you know, hopefully her boldness will make this country a little more free. Now, I have a I had somebody write in to ask why I'm always looking out of the corner of my eye or looking down on a screen or seemingly somewhat distracted sometimes when I'm on air. And there's a reason for that. It is because I don't have a producer who is with me when I'm recording and I don't have uh, a video tech or a videographer who is with me when I'm recording. So when I'm recording, I'm talking to you, the camera. I have the computer on my desk, which controls my camera and my monitor and all that sort of stuff. And I've got notes on another laptop sort of beside me. And so the reason that sometimes you might see me not paying attention to my guest is not that I'm not paying attention to my guest. My guest is always in my ear. I can hear everything they're saying, but they're def- they're not in the room with me. But I'm also making sure that I'm still recording, that I haven't had an internet catastrophe, that my software hasn't failed, that my computer hasn't just turned itself off, that my guest's quality is still at least usable as I work remotely. So I'm I'm not not paying attention to my guest. I'm looking at my notes. I'm monitoring um, with the recording process just to make sure that um, there's a functioning show for you when you want it. So it may seem like I'm distracted, that I'm not paying attention to my guest, um, but really I'm just trying to make sure that everything's working. And unfortunately I have to do it alone. And sometimes that means taking my eyes off the camera to, to check as I'm doing right now, things out of the corner of my eye. So I hope that answers um, the questions in a sort of a, maybe addresses those concerns that people think that I'm, I'm, you know, just, I don't know, writing emails, sending text messages, doing something else. I'm not, I am multitasking. Um, but that is, uh, the nature of what I do here because I, I don't work in the studio in Toronto. I send them all these audio files and video files and they package it up to a show and turn it into something that you can watch. Well, everybody, that is the show for tonight. Thank you so much for tuning in. I'll see everybody back here in the same time, in the same place next week. Big shout out to everybody who works behind the scenes at Rebel News to turn this jumble of audio and video files into a show that's watchable for you. And as always, remember, don't let the government tell you that you've had too much to think.